Well, um, it's been a pleasure to be a pastor here and excited to be able to preach the Word of God this morning. Um, I just want to thank Todd for giving me an incredible last topic, a very easy softball uh, topic. Uh, We're going to tackle spiritual warfare uh, today. So... um, This is kind of closing out our Apostles' Creed series. Now, I want to make it clear this is not a a part of the Apostles' Creed, but this is often something that somebody uh, maybe has questions about, about spiritual warfare, about uh, the kind of... uh, I guess you would say the battle going on beyond the scenes between uh, the powers of evil and the powers of light, the devil and his demons versus God and his angels. What does that look like and how are we as believers to approach that? So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And so if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to be walking through that uh, together. Uh, Last night, uh, my daughter... Uh, asked me as I was tucking her into bed uh, She asked me Because she knew I was preaching this morning I said are you going to tell any funny jokes Or any funny stories And I said uh, I told her I said I may not be great at preaching But I do like to tell funny stories So I'm going to start there with a story from a couple years ago when I was in student ministry. Uh, I was uh, in Virginia, and there was this camp that off-season would host a kind of a conference, a kind of getaway, a spiritual emphasis kind of weekend for uh, youth pastors, student pastors, or those who worked with middle school and high school students. And so I would go out there, and I would take several from my staff or my volunteers, and we would just spend some time together. Well, one of the highlights of that week was we would go over and play on campus paintball. Now, I decided one year I was going to dive in and just go ahead and play, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, never really went paintballing before, so I just kind of showed up with jeans and kind of a thin hoodie. I was like, how bad can this be, right? Already my first mistake. I noticed immediately looking around that I was not prepared, seeing the different gear that the other guys that had on that were going to play. Now, this place did provide you with a mask and provided you with a paintball gun. And so I was like, whatever, let's just do it. And I got on there and we, we took off. And the game we played was kind of an uh, altercation of, uh, or like an alternate way to play capture the flag. It was called the Storm the Castle, where you had the flag outside of the, uh, in front of the fortress of the enemy, and my team's job was to work our way through the woods and capture the flag. We didn't have to bring it back to our base. It was kind of like, if you got the flag, touched it at all, you won. And so we started, we started working our way through the woods, and a couple of our guys got hit, and they were taken out, and I'm kind of working my way forward. I'm seeing all kind of my teammates behind me, and I'm like, am I doing this right? Because like I'm in front of everybody, but I'm like ducking behind trees. And then the unthinkable happened. I ran out of ammo. Not a good place to be when you're at, you know, at war, a paintball war, right? And so I kind of was like, what am I going to do? But I noticed in the corner of my eye, about 20 yards away, 20 yards away was the flag. So I made a momentary decision to drop my gun and just run as fast as I could. I mean, it was like chariots of fire music playing behind me, (laughs) slow motion, you know. And I was just a few feet away, and I dove, and I was able to grab the flag without being hit, winning it for my team. But here's where it gets worse. As I stand up to kind of show my team that I got the flag, my friend on the other team just lights me up. Just unloads. As I'm kind of turned around, it's just like, 
you know, like you would see in a movie. And uh, we got back to where we were staying, and I just welt up and down my back. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I fired him off my team, and uh, it was, no. Well, with something like that, like we, we, there's kind of some correlation. I don't think it's apples for apples comparison, but there is something about that that resembles oftentimes what happens when we find ourselves in spiritual warfare. Oftentimes, we find ourselves underprepared, outgunned, outnumbered, and even when we feel like we have victory, oftentimes a surprise attack comes. To really be clear with spiritual warfare, what I'm talking about here, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I'll unpack it more as we walk through the text, but a spiritual warfare is when we are attacked by the devil and his demons in a way that causes us temptation or discouragement or doubt or ultimately maybe with a lie that is a deception that is meant to lead us away from God. It's, it's not a physical attack. It's not like someone's breaking into our home or we're going, you know, out and we're finding ourselves in conflict with somebody, but it's often, often done in secret and in hiding, not something that we can see. It presents itself oftentimes in maybe even circumstances that we experience. You know, I, I told my, uh, my wife Tabitha, I said, when, whenever I've preached a message on spiritual warfare, usually the week leading up to that is kind of chaotic. It's almost like a, a opening the door, right, to be a target. And this week was not unlike those times. Uh, earlier in the week, um, our car, I was driving back from uh, the grocery store, and it just all of a sudden lights were flashing like it was 4th of July on the dashboard, and my alternator and battery went out. And, uh, and so we had car problems, and that creates all kinds of time and, and issues and different things like that. The very next day, we had a pipe in our basement that started to leak pretty significantly. You know, so we had another house thing, and all these things were starting to come up and starting to get frustrated, trying to figure out how are we going to fix these things. I was losing time. I was trying to tie up some loose ends here at Silver Creek so we can transition well. I was trying to kind of prepare for things that are coming, and it just was a mess. So when you find yourselves in those situations, what do you do? Well, I think Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 actually lays out for us an understanding of spiritual warfare and what we can do to be prepared as believers because it's not a matter of if we will face spiritual warfare. It's a matter of when. In fact, I believe many of us are in it and we may not even know it right now. So let's dive right in. There's three things we're going to see in this passage. First, the battle. Second, the armor. And third, the posture. Verse 10 starts by saying this Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength and in the strength of his might. See, Paul, for context, at the beginning of Ephesians, kind of lays out the gospel and what happens and what Jesus has done for us through the gospel, and then spends the majority of Ephesians talking about what it looks like to live a spirit filled life. And then he concludes with these words, kind of wrapping up his letter by saying, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What he's communicating here is that we cannot do, do this in our own strength. Notice it doesn't say, finally be strong in your own might, be strong in your own abilities, be strong in your, you know, what you're capable of, but says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. My youngest child is four, and oftentimes when I'm working around the house, and sometimes he'll like to step in and help move some things, but he's four and weighs about 25 pounds soaking wet, so when he's trying to lift things, I'm coming behind him, and as his dad, I'm helping him move and helping him work, you know, uh, doing these jobs with me. So in his mind, he's lifting, but in reality, his father is the one that's carrying the heavy load. 
That's what it looks like as believers when we are living in the strength of our Father that, that we want to come alongside Him as our Heavenly Father and His strength allowing us to endure. But then in 11 and 12, it presents to us this battle. Verse 11, starting there, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over their present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul makes us very aware that that we should be putting on the whole armor of God, which we're going to talk about in a second. Because, you know, we need to be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. That this battle we're in is not one, a physical battle with flesh and blood, but talks about these spiritual, uh, the spiritual battle that is taking place with the kind of key figure being the devil. And it kind of, what this presents for us, that this is a very organized battle. And I could give it, like, dig into the trenches and details here, but I don't think that would be as helpful as just simply saying the reality is, is that the devil is real and he's coming for you. He wants nothing more than to derail and destroy God's redemptive plan. And oftentimes going after his church to derail us individually or as a body from doing what God has called us to do. And that is the root of spiritual warfare, the players involved, right? We have this idea of this devil. Now, I'm gonna make it very clear. This is something, a misconception that people have is when they think about spiritual warfare, they think this battle of the, the forces of, of light and the forces of darkness, you know, starting to sound like Star Wars here, you know, that, that, that God and Satan are, are on equal playing field. Understand through scripture, we see that the devil actually is a created being. Overwhelmingly, scholarship believes that the devil was a fallen angel at some point after creation. One of God's heavenly angels uh, that ultimately fell and rebelled against God, you know, and that he led an army away from God and ultimately is trying to attack what he was trying to accomplish. And so this devil uh, it has a scheme, has a battle plan. We actually see his, this figure, this person pop up in scripture several times. Even in the early pages, Genesis chapter 3, right? Presents himself as a serpent. We see him in, uh, even in the New Testament. One example we're going to talk about is when Jesus was tempted by the devil. But this is how kind of the scriptures describe uh, Satan, the devil. Verse, uh, John chapter 10, verses 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Talking about this figure. That his sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. It says, I have come, this is Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the devil's whole goal is to destroy, to steal, to to absolutely mess things up in the redemptive plan of God. And it tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8 that we should be mindful of this and looking out and being alert with this. It says, uh, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Don't say these things to scare you, but to make you aware of the fact that, 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 again, the devil is real, that he is looking to cause Damage and destroy what God is doing in your life and in this church and in this world But here's what you need to know. I've already said this, but I want to double down on it The devil is a created being That means he's subject To the creator 
And the Bible points to an ending where the devil will be defeated once and for all. There's victory through Jesus on the cross, but this end victory where forever the devil will be uh, outcast forever and we will be able to stand in the presence of God for those who place their faith in Jesus forever. The devil's plan is deception. He seeks to destroy through deception. We see that in our culture and a society today, but a couple uh, examples that we see in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3. He calls into question when he goes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. He, he starts off with, did God actually say that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? He calls into question what God has actually said. And between that dialogue, he begins to kind of deceive and twist the words of God, calling into question for Eve and for Adam, is God really good and does he really want what's best for us? And as a response to that, they were deceived and they took of the fruit and they brought brokenness and sin into the world, separating humanity from the Creator. And then in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses, uh, verse 4, actually we see Jesus going into the wilderness after he's being baptized, right before he starts his ministry, and he's being tempted by the devil. And we get to see three glimpses of what that looks like. And in those passages, what we learn is that Jesus, I mean, sorry, that Satan, the devil, knows the scriptures and actually uses it and twists it to try to tempt Jesus. And Jesus is able to withstand those temptations. So the game, the battle plan for the devil is to deceive, to, to, to distract from the truth of God's word, to distract what God has called his creation to do. And we're seeing that in our culture. We're seeing that in our society. We see that in our relationships that, that does not have an objective truth that says whatever makes you happy, whatever you desire to do. And so the deception is real where, where the devil is playing with people's hearts and their minds to see something that is not there and not that it is something that God has never intended. So how do we... How do we process this? How do we deal with this? How do we prepare for this? Well, we are not left to face this alone. Paul actually describes it as armor. So we're going to look at the armor today. What is it that, that God has left us through the armor? And what's really cool is that when we walk through this, these pieces of armor, you're actually going to see that all of these connect to Jesus. That actually through what Jesus has done for us on the cross and what he continues to do as our high priest ultimately is what protects us from these deceptions. Let's look at verse 13, though. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. So Paul's reminding us because of this battle, because of the spiritual battle, we need to put on the whole armor of God. So that we must withstand things in the evil day. And he even notes there, it says, having done all to stand firm. He actually puts a responsibility on us, like, to, to be all in. A lot of believers are passive in their faith because they're just comfortable. And the reality is there is a war out there. And there's a battle that's going on. And even it presents ourselves in our lives very often. We need to be ready for it. It's not one of being passive, but it being active. But what Paul says is that we've been given this armor of God. If you're like me, you grew up in the church. And so I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so I remember when I was a kid, they actually made an armor of God for kids. Anybody ever have the armor of God, or at least knew of it? Okay, a handful of you. Well, it was amazing. I don't care how big or how small you were, the armor of God that they made never fit. Like, the, the, the helmet of salvation was either too small, you couldn't get your dome around it, the breastplate of righteousness was always, like, shifting on you, you know, and, and I wanted one of those, like, armors so bad, but the only 
you know, place that I got, my parents never got it for me, but where church had one. So I was like, so ready to go to children's ministry because I wanted the armor of God. But by the time I got there, one kid had the sword, one kid had the helmet. I was like left with like, unfortunately, just the, the, the sandals, the gospel sandals you put on. I was like, I wanted the sword, you know. Um, but it's funny, when we talk about armor, this is not meant to be some kind of physical armor that we have. It's not like you're gonna come to faith in Jesus and you go home and in your closet, you get this new armor that you can just go walk around in. That would be awkward. But all of this points us to what Jesus has done, and it's as if what Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us acts as armor for us, protecting us from these lies. But let's read 14 through 17, what these pieces are, and then I'll walk through pretty quickly uh, how they relate to Jesus. But 14 through 17 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of, the, of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So six pieces of armor. Let's dive right in. The first one is the belt of of truth. So for Paul, uh, he was kind of referencing more likely had a Roman soldier in mind. And so when a Ro Roman soldier was going into battle, he would you know, have his armor on but on, over top of a tunic. And so he would kind of bind up his tunic at the bottom and he would kind of make for himself an adult diaper. And uh, the last service didn't get that joke either. I don't, <laughs> it didn't land well. I don't know why I tried it a second time. But anyways, he kind of wrapped it all up and then it would bind it together with a belt. And so this belt would not only hold up the tunic, but it actually would almost act like a support system. You know, almost like a weightlifter wearing a belt, lifting heavy weights would, in order to be able to kind of hold on the rest of the armor. And he calls this a belt of truth. You know, what he's kind of pointing out here, that the foundation of our defense again in spiritual warfare and against the devil is the truth, God's truth, not some kind of subjective truth of how we feel or what we think is best or what ultimately we want to pursue because we think that's what's going to make us happy. It's God's truth that was established at the creation of the world through the Father, Son, uh, Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, you know, kind of displayed to us, revealed to us on the cross through Jesus Christ, and it's through kind of having a foundation of that in our life that leads us ultimately to have a good foundation of defense again in spiritual warfare. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a kind of more than likely a metal kind of uh, plate that went over the chest, the torso that would protect kind of a vital organs. Um, and as I kind of did some research, the, the kind of uh, idea this would be kind of protecting one's emotion, one's someone's emotion, someone's heart, right? And so the breastplate of righteousness, uh, oftentimes when we think about in the moment spiritual warfare, we're almost tempted to base our safety and our security on how we feel or the amount of good works that we have. But this breastplate protects our heart because ultimately he's calling believers to arm themselves with not their own righteousness, but the righteousness that is given to us through Jesus. That because we have placed our faith in Jesus, he's, he has, you know, kind of taken from us our sin, forgiven us our sin, and in return given us his righteousness. So when we stand before God, it's not that we're standing with nothing but sin, but he actually sees his son in us. So our identity, what protects our heart and our emotions, is focusing on what Jesus has done for us on the cross and taking hold of the identity that we have in him. The third thing is the gospel shoes. 
And so shoes, as you know, are foundational to anyone who wants to kind of move quickly. I ran track in high school, and uh, I loved my sophomore year when my parents were like, hey, you're kind of into this. We should get you some, some spikes. And we went to the store, and I got these golden spikes, you know, on my feet. I thought they were the coolest thing in the world. I thought I ran as fast as Usain Bolt in them, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I look so cool. And, uh, but these gospel shoes, there's kind of a two-way thing that they do for us. Gospel meaning the good news of Jesus Is one, it protects us from slipping Because we remember that because of Jesus Because of the good news of Jesus Christ That our position before God has changed Now once we were an enemy of God But now we are called his friend That now we are brought into his family That this is this gospel of peace that, That it keeps us from slipping And even if we do slip That position and that relationship Cannot change and that's brought to us Through Jesus but also these gospel Shoes remind us that Jesus has invited us into His mission it's Almost this idea of readiness That those shoes are on they're Tied tight you are ready to go Whenever that race starts you Can run down that track because You are ready for the time to come And so when Jesus invites us Into the gospel mission we are ready For it A lot of people, and I I think this to be true, we're not looking to be ready for anything. We're maybe just trying to survive or just enjoy the comforts of this world instead of having those gospel shoes ready, planted firmly in our relationship with Jesus and prepared for action for the things to come. Then you have the shield of faith. A Roman soldier's shield was likely about three feet by four feet, and it was actually like acting as a physical barrier between them and danger. It actually says in the passage that the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Oftentimes, uh, what would happen is if it was a, uh, a wooden shield before battle, they would actually soak it in water. So if that, that uh, would be a fiery arrow that was shot at them, it would hit the, the, the uh, shield, and instead of lighting it on a fire, it would maybe extinguish it. And uh, I was reading through some commentary, and uh, I love this explanation of what a fiery dart is. It says, uh, fiery darts are the well-aimed, powerful, often sudden and unexpected temptations and accusations of the devil. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that where, you know, you're just going about life and then circumstances take place and immediately out of nowhere you're overcome with temptation or overcome with accusations, doubting maybe your relationship with God, maybe, you know, starting to struggle with some guilt of some past sins that you have in your life or, or maybe struggling to know, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I making the right decision? And oftentimes when they do that, that can be very unsettling for our faith. Well, Paul says, put on like the shield of faith, this active barrier that protects you against those attacks. The idea of the shield of faith, it's not that it's calling you to live out your faith. It's not meaning that you need to try harder and be more fruitful. It's actually speaking more of the object of our faith, and that is Jesus. If you think about that, Jesus acted a shield for us on the cross, what we remember today was we partook in communion together that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed to to be the shield for us you know as as those who are sinners that have broken God's laws that are now under judgment it is shielding us from the wrath of God that Jesus himself when he went up on that cross and the father turned his face away he became the shield for us that if we place our faith in him the judgment that we deserve rested on his shoulder protecting and standing in front of us for those who place their faith in him. 
In the same way now that we have a relationship, if you've placed your faith in him, that now becomes a shield between you and the schemes of the devil. That means when you're tempted, the shield of faith reminds you of what Jesus has done for the cross, that his work on the cross is finished. That Jesus reminds you, I've died for that. You are set free from that. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're set free to worship and follow me. Whenever you have an accusation where you doubt your relationship with God, or maybe you're experiencing guilt, or you're struggling with something, the shield reminds you that, that God's work is complete through Jesus. And so your relationship with him does not change. That no matter what you do, there's no way that God could love you any less, and there's no way he could love you anymore. It's perfect through Jesus. Then we have the helmet of salvation. The uh, idea of a helmet, it protects our heads. In this way, it's protecting our minds from the deceit and deception because it reminds us of the salvation we have in Christ. Romans 12, or uh, chapter uh, 12, verses 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is one of the biggest battlegrounds uh, that we'll experience in spiritual warfare. Because it's in the mind oftentimes where we are tempted the most and we're discouraged the most. And it's those thoughts sometimes we bury that we don't want to share with anybody else that the devil can, can poke and prod and, and oftentimes distract us from what we're called to do. But the helmet of salvation, what it does is it keeps our mind fixed on what Jesus has done for us, fixed on his love for us, fixed on his sacrifice, knowing that even no matter what, that we are safe and secure in him. The problem is, is I, I've worked with the students for a long time. Uh, before coming here, I was in student ministry for 15 years, and I've seen this battle oftentimes the most in students, particularly since the invention of the smartphone. Because their minds are so filled with messages from this world. In the movies they watch, the TV shows they watch, the music they listen to, the social media sites they go to, the websites they go to, whatever it may be, they're just so filled with things that are not of God. And I'm just telling you, as someone who's preached for a long time, it's not just pastors who preach. Everything preaches. Everything is preaching a gospel. Whether it's the one true gospel or not, that is a question that we need to determine but I'm telling you, so many people fill their minds with so much junk that when they do come to church, when they do come to other things, oftentimes it's combating these, these, these things of this world, these ideas, these worldviews that oftentimes lead them astray. So I always tell a couple years ago, I was trying to get serious about fitness, and uh, I've lost, I did get it, you know, during that time, lost a little bit of weight. Of course, since then, I've gained it all back because I'm lazy. But um, during that time, I got really into fitness, and I was kind of doing some research, and there's a quote that really stuck with me. I, I really enjoy running, and the quote was simple. It says, you cannot outrun a bad diet. And the idea is that, that no matter how much you work out, no matter how much you run, no matter whatever it may be, if you still have a poor diet, like, it's not going to do you very much good. You know, for me, I could run 100 miles a week, but if I'm still pounding back that Taco Bell, I'm not saying I do that, but I don't want to, that it's not going to do you any good in the same way. Like, we can work hard in the spiritual disciplines, but if we have a bad diet and fill our mind with the wrong things, it's not going to do us any good. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. Lastly is the sword of the Spirit. 
The sword of the Spirit, as you might uh, have noticed, is the only offensive weapon that we're given. And it's got two kind of uses. One is that the sword of the Spirit, uh, meaning the uh, Holy Spirit, is what God uses to change lives. And so for us, we can use as an offensive weapon to d defeat the schemes and the lies of the devil. Because if we know what truth is, God's truth, actually says in here that it's this sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So that if we want to combat his lies, his deceptions, we have to fill our mind and know how to use this sword by knowing the word of God. That we can defeat his lies with the promises of God. We can defeat his deception with that which we know is true in God's word. So it's not only a sword, though, it's also a surgical utensil. God can use his word on us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged swords, uh, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints uh, and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is a sharp pruning instrument that as we, as we study it, as we seek to know more about God, as we walk through different texts and seeing how God worked in people's lives and how through the Spirit we see how He's working in ours, it sharpens us. If we want to withstand the schemes and the deceit of the devil, we need to not only put on the armor, but we need to learn how to use the sword of the Spirit. We need to learn how to go to battle. We'll end with this. Number three, the posture. So we got looked at the battle, we looked at the army, we looked at the posture. Uh, verses 18 through 20 say this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, as he kind of finishes up, he kind of shares with them two postures we as believers can have. As we put on the armor of God, the first posture is a posture of prayer. He emphasized that we should be praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayers and supplications mean that we are praying to God to talk to Him and praying on behalf of others, telling Him what our needs are. You know, that we are to making not just supplications for our needs, but also for the saints, for other people. And Paul himself was like, hey, pray for me. I'm in prison right now that I might speak boldly the truth of God. But also, not just a posture of prayer, but a posture of alertedness. That we need to have our eyes open, knowing that the battle is here. And you may not feel it, you may not experience it, but we certainly need to be prepared for it. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I'm going to close with a quick story. My dad, as many of you know, he's been a pastor for uh, a long time. And uh, he is now pastoring a church outside of D.C. And uh, because of his proximity to D.C., he's, uh, the last four years, he's had the privilege of being an honorary commander uh, at Joint Base Andrews, just outside of D.C. And uh, so as a honorary commander, he works with the chaplains, he works with uh, the commanders on the base, and a lot of times he's just kind of a, a presence there, encouraging and caring for those uh, that are on base. And one of the things that he was introduced to, and uh, kind of a tradition in the military, uh, is the idea of challenge coins. 
And, uh, and so I didn't even know this was existed, but apparently challenge coins that, uh, that soldiers often would do, those who are in the military would have a challenge coin on them, and they would give them to somebody for a number of reasons. Maybe it's a change of command. Uh, maybe it was just a way to show um, camaraderie. Maybe it was a way to honor somebody um, that did something, accomplished something that wouldn't necessarily uh, like, necessitate an official award. And so my dad, over the, a number of years, actually had, been, uh, had several commanders give him some of their challenge coins. And um, he carries one with him as well, because uh, tradition on their base is if you are given a, a coin and you don't have one in return, the person that gave you uh, a coin, you owe them a keg of beer. And uh, my dad's not about that life, so he's like, make sure he has a coin on him at all times. But my dad gave me his challenge coin a couple of years ago. And uh, I, ha- I, I don't carry it necessarily with me. I'm not in the, the military. I am in the Lord's army, but that's different. Um, but ironically, God brought my mind to this as I prepared this message. Um, and I, it's not in the budget for me to buy a challenge coin for each one of you, to be honest with you. But make this as imaginary challenge coin as one of your pastors for the very last time. It says on one side, put on the whole armor of God. And then just simply the words, pray Always, And then on the front, it has the list of the different pieces of armor. And so if I can challenge you just one last time as your pastor, just know that the battle's real. And we need to be a people that wears our armor, that knows the Bible, that sharpens that sword and that tool, allows it to prune us and perfect us to become more like Christ, to be ready when deception comes to battle it with the truth of God's word. Because if we do, we could be a church that really sees amazing change in these walls and in our community and maybe even to the ends of the earth. So let's be a people that is ready for battle, prepared, ready to go to war when it comes to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the cross. I pray, Lord, now uh, maybe somebody even in this room is going through some kind of spiritual battle. Lord, they're struggling with temptation, they're struggling with doubts, they're struggling with circumstances, Lord, that is distracting them from wanting to follow you and do what you called them to do. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would help one another, pray for one another, Lord, and that as individuals put on the whole armor of God, that we would be prepared for what's next and for what's coming. Because we know, Lord, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Lord, help us to look ahead to the victory that you have called us to in the future where we know you once and for all, you will bring victory to us, but also to look back and when the finished work of the cross, knowing you brought us victory there. May that be a challenge to us today, and I pray this.